Big tobacco cigarette butts filter practically nothing and are made of microplastics that are toxic and cunning. More than 15,000 fibers lurk in every cigarette butt you see. Could they harm your families? Quite possibly. They could end up inside of you, your bodies, their prey. New studies even indicate possible links to mutations in DNA. An evil lie with the future's worth of harm. To the world, now you know. So sound the alarm. Learn more at undo.org. Welcome to Shortcomings, a podcast brought to you by The Dip. We are watching and shooting the shit about every episode of Sex and the City. I'm your host, Samantha Bush, and I am joined by my co-host, Chris Lewis. Hi, Chris. Hi, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm well. I'm very excited and not sure we know what we're doing. In fact, I know for sure we don't, but we are doing it. We are going to watch all 92 episodes of this show, which is insane, and then... The two movies, which is going to be crazy, and then... We have to discuss the second movie. Like, it's something we have to do, but it's... Who else was I texting this, but just how? How did the second movie happen? Not why, not when, how? How? And then we'll talk about the revival when that comes. So hopefully it'll, you know, come out in exactly 94 weeks so that uh, this is timed really well. I don't think it will, but... (laughs) Yeah, that would be great. So, Chris, how did you start watching Sex and the City? Like, what was your introduction there? So, look, I was definitely raised by the television. Um, so no one was monitoring, like, anything I was doing. Um, so I think I the first episode of Sex and the City I saw was probably in 1999. And it was some, somewhere, like, mid-season two. And I'm pretty sure I would have been, like, I'm horrible at math, but, like, 11? Yeah. And I believe my first memory is of it is that episode where they go where Samantha's sleeping with like the really hunky firemen. Oh, and is that when you meet John Slattery? Yeah, the politician. So like talk about someone who imprinted. Yeah, we'll talk about that when we get there. Come on. Sorry to skip ahead. (laughs) So how about you? So my parents would watch it after I would go to sleep every Sunday and I could hear it. Like I could hear the music. Like I remember hearing the little trumpet or, you know, whatever. No, I assume this is before they were divorced. They would both watch it. So like it doesn't oh, matter. Oh, separately. Okay. Yeah. My dad I was like, like sex in the city led to their divorce. Yeah. <laughs> that would be, they would have to be a guest on the pod. We would have to be like, <laughs> what happened? What episode triggered this? Yeah. Um, or then like we would go to my, my dad and I would go to my aunt's house and they, my aunt and my dad and his brother, like everyone would be talking about this show. But of course, I had no idea what they were talking about. And my God, you're younger than me. So you were definitely like nine. Yeah, I was like eight or nine. Eight or nine. Well, and then for me, I didn't really watch all of it. Although I definitely remember watching like the finale. And then I got to college and someone had that giant ass like pink book that had all the DVDs in it. And yeah. freshman year, I watched it all. You like I it took it DVDs? down like a nerd in my room, not going to parties. Um, I know that they played it on E a lot, like reruns on E, but like they cut out obviously like so much. So we already know what the show looks like without Samantha because we've seen it on E and TBS. Oh my God, exactly. Yes. I was going to say, yeah, E's never not playing Sex in the City and I feel like Bride Wars. 
He is constantly playing Bride Wars. It's Shout like, out to Casey Rose Wilson and Diane Raphael. It's like, I'm, it, I mean, have I ever seen that movie not on mute? I don't know, but... It's actually a great, it's a great film. But that's I love, I love Anne Hathaway. We can get, we can get into a tangent. Yes, no, that's okay. true. I mean, I guess we have to admit who we are on the show because that's such a big part of it. And I mean, not to call you out, but you are um, a dizzy Carrie. I am the dizziest Carrie. And we will only be referring to Carrie, who we love as dizzy Carrie. Yeah, I want to make things very clear off the top here. We love them all. Like, I love all four women. Yes. There was a little hesitation there, but I do. I really do. (laughs) There was a heavy hesitation. I really do. Yeah, I just, you know, I mean, obviously they have their flaws. Like Carrie, for example, I am such a Carrie. I am just a... A mess. Yeah, I'm a constant mess. Like, there's so many things that she has done on this show where I'm just like, that's me. And I identify fully as a Charlotte. It's not like I feel like how I present to the world, but I do think once I say it to people, the truth, like, clicks into everyone. They're like, oh, 100%. Yeah, no. I wanted you to be a Miranda, but then I say Charlotte and everyone's like, that's written all there. It made way more sense. Like, when you told me you're like, I'm such a Charlotte, I was like... You are such a Charlotte. And what's really interesting is like this conversation that people still have all the time. Like the show hasn't been on the air in so long and people are still constantly like, are you a Carrie, a Miranda, Samantha, or a Charlotte? I mean, in girls, they talk about it. You know, you're funny because you're definitely like a Carrie with like some Samantha aspects and Charlotte hair. It's like a really good combination. Oh, thank you. I think... I'm definitely a Carrie at heart, but like sometimes, sometimes Samantha kind of comes out. And then, I mean, when I'm at school, I definitely try and put on my Miranda hat. Where were you before France? I mean, it's just so wild. It's just, it's, it shows the testament to the show, honestly. Tell us who you are. You know, we want to know. I'd love to hear from everyone. And frankly, don't feel bad if you're not one of them. If you're a Stanford, honestly, you're doing better than probably both of us. A hundred percent. I want to know if someone like is married to a Harry. Do you think? God, those I mean, I hope I will be one day. Although I don't really, I was, I, I was going to say I'm not. I don't really believe in the institution of marriage, but I am a Charlotte. Yeah, but but you are. I just Charlotte. love rules. You you love rules and you love to be like prim. You're making yeah. like very. Yeah, I'm you holding love my purse. Wine. Oh yeah, I'm having a delicious organic rosé right now as we mm-hmm. record this at two twenty in the afternoon. And I want everyone to know that, you know, you're getting this podcast and it's called Shortcomings, but the original title was Are We Sluts? My favorite episode title. And um, we got a few notes from uh, HR at the dip. <laughs> They're like, we can't have it be the Slut Network. Yeah. <laughs> we already have a podcast with the They're like, how many, how many podcasts can we have with the name Slut in the title, guys? Change it. I know. But I was like, so, we were so committed. We were, we were, we were like, like got, this podcast is going to be a hit. People will want to sponsor Are We Sluts? Yeah. But I mean, it does pose the question, which we will ask repeatedly will, throughout the show. But as we quickly came to, we were like, this is a spiritual question for ourselves that we already know the answer to. It's yes. Yeah. But look, maybe you guys will find us to be different. You'll find us to be very pure and fun and not slutty. But I'm not going to bank on that. I'm sure stories will be told on this podcast. Should we chat a bit? I guess because Sam, you, as many people know, I'm sure everyone listening to this knows, run an account, Bravo Historian, the best Bravo account. 
after Danny Pellegrino's, of course, you know, you hold strong at number two. Thank you. Yeah, see, and I like that we all respect Danny as number one. And you're like, I'm happy to be at that second spot. But you also do a lot of detours and deep dives over there. And I know a few weeks ago, you really got in on um, one Candace Bushnell and her original Mr. Big. Because of course, this podcast, this show, and this podcast is is dovetails from Candace Bushnell's original columns in, I think, the New York Observer. And so tell us a little bit about Candace, who was just uh, running around. Okay, so Candace, I'm fascinated by her. What makes me so interested in her is just like, I mean, the whole thing, actually. But then, too, because I run a Bravo account, I know everything there is to know about these shows. And she's in a several episodes of Roni. Which, which is, is just upsetting. I mean, but then... Okay, so there's that. So that really got my, like, wheels turning. Because I was like, who is this woman? Like, I need to do more research on her and, like, big. And who the fuck is he? Because I know he was based off a real guy because she was a real writer. Like, obviously, the show is based off of her column. Like, it was a whole thing. So Mr. Big is based off of the real guy, Ron Galati. So Ron Galati was a former Vogue and GQ publisher. Ooh, so that's classy. He was a publisher. And him and Candace actually only had a relationship for like eight months. Which well, that actually really fits fun. more into like, I just reread the collection of the columns that was published. And I mean, to say it has very little to do with the show is a lot. Like, um, Big is definitely different and they do break up at the end and the relationship is really, really short. So... You know, we don't yeah, want to harp it, too much on Cand- Candace in the book because it's so different. It is so different. and But also, I like the idea, though, that this Big's personality is more based around Ron. Like, yeah. it would not be their relationship. I think um, in the beginning, it definitely, like, rep- like, the show represented Carrie more so as Candace than it did towards the end. Like, it became more, it became bigger than that. But Candace. Boom, boom. Yeah, but Candace said about Ron Galati, she said he was one of those New York guys with a big personality. You just notice him as soon as he walks in the room. I called him Mr. Big because he was like the big man on campus, which is like, I mean, obviously. No, I don't. And I would never do this about a woman, but I'd like everyone listening to just give a Google over to uh, Mr. Galati. And um, casting was kind. Very kind, but also, like, he, Ron Galati has, like, that kind of Harry Dubin-esque energy. All right, we are not getting into Harry Dubin. You know, I, I can't. know how I feel about my Harry. I, I, and I know, I know, I know, I know. But, I mean, like, he was on the cover of New York magazine, and it's, like, he's in a suit with, like, these shorts. And, like, he was a big, he was a big deal. I'm not saying I wouldn't sleep with Ron Galati. I'm just saying, yeah. you know, Chris so Noth and... In a farm. Chris Noth is... Tippity top in terms of uh, casting. You're not attracted to Ron Galati. I haven't seen him in a while, but at the last time I looked at him, I was like, ooh. He, tr- he turned into Aiden, I've got to say. Like, if you Google him, everyone run to your computers or your... Run to your phones. Run to your <laughs> You're probably already holding your phone in your hand because yeah. you're listening what to a podcast. What am I talking about? So if you Google him, he lives on a farm now. He has, like, children. He, like, loves the simple life. He's, like... A millionaire still. He's just like living it up and just. I love the idea that he can go through phases. I look forward to him at like eighty turning into Petrotsky. You know, my one true love. How you feel about him? (laughs) All right. Well, I I love hearing that. That's amazing. 
do you have anything else? Or should we get into kind of, um, you know, the show premiered in 1998. And I feel like what people always forget is that, like, HBO wasn't exactly what it is now in terms of, like, your Mayor of East Towns and your... And your hacks, which if you haven't seen, I watched all 10 episodes this week. Oh, you mean the most popular show that I was never going to mention? Yeah. Um, so Sex and the City was really the first of those shows to premiere and help turn the whole network into what we kind of see it to see it as today with prestige television and something that could win a ton of Emmys. And then it's really kind of lost to time that. Sarah Jessica Parker, I mean, she wasn't like a huge movie star, but she was a movie star that was coming to television, which she kind of laid that framework for so many. Obviously, it's incredibly, you know, ubiquitous today that every single movie star is going to come to television at some point, except Mm -hmm. I was going to say except Meryl, but she's dipped her toes. But I don't think we're ever going to see like a Meryl led miniseries. Never. I love. And of course, you just posted about when SJP was dating Robert Downey Jr. And wow, what a moment. What a moment. And we'll talk one day, I hope, about that video audio of Robert Downey Jr. when he woke up in like a kid's bed and the mom has to call and be like, there's a man in my kid's bed. I think it's Robert Downey Jr. Chris, I have never heard that in my life. And look, did I make it up? I don't think so. But I believe I saw it on E! True Hollywood Story. When you were like nine, you were like, <laughs> yeah. learning about Robert and I, I was Jr. taking notes, handwritten notes, with oh like my, my Crayolas. You were the Crayolas. So... We say all of that to say that, like, Sex and the City is an incredibly important show to the genesis of HBO. Obviously, if you're listening to this, I imagine you're a fan. If you're watching for the first time, we look forward to hearing all of your thoughts as you're going through the episodes. If you're rewatching, there is always something to find. Um, I actually did a rewatch of it at the beginning of the pandemic, but I did skip season one and season two, so... um, I, this is all new territory for me also. Absolutely. Like when I was rewatching it this first season, I've, you know, like we've said, I rewatched the first episode this week, like at least eight times. I was like, I feel like this is the first time I'm seeing it because I'm, I feel like it's the first time I'm seeing it as like a woman who's had experiences. Oh, you've had experiences. Sense? Okay. <laughs> you don't have to call me out like that. Are we sad? <laughs> yes. Uh, TBD. So that was like kind of weird, like because in the beginning of the episode, look, we can start with a little bit of the synopsis of from HBO Max, which is, uh, you know, this one's a little boring. (laughs) In the pilot episode of this hit comedy, Carrie and her friends vow to start having sex like men. He never did call, of course, bastard. She told me one day over coffee. I don't understand. In England, looking at houses together would have meant something. Then I realized no one had told her about the end of love in Manhattan. Welcome to the age of uninnocence. No one has breakfast at Tiffany's and no one has affairs to remember. Instead, we have breakfast at 7 a.m. and affairs we try to forget as quickly as possible. Self-protection and closing the deal are paramount. Cupid has flown the co-op. How the hell did we get into this mess? So we just heard the opening kind of voiceover after that weird story that Carrie tells about the English woman. How do you feel about the story? Which, by the way, that actress was absolutely Australian. And I looked it up because I was like, her British accent is insane and not right. 
And then I looked it up and she is Australian um, and was using her Australian accent. And yet they didn't just change the script to say she's Australian, which was crazy. People in 1999 were like, not that smart. And they weren't Googling things maybe in the no. same way. I don't know. But no, um, people were not running to their computers to Google if this woman was British or not. But I have to say the man looks like uh, Aviva Drasher's husband. Reed. Oh, Reed? You know, I love Reed. I know you do, but he looks exactly <laughs> like Reed. And we can't and even like, talk about that. You know, I love the nanny. Oh, my God. I know. I had my eyes open for Reed as I was rewatching the nanny. I was like, is he going to be in this? Yeah, a little cameo, a little sneak peek. But what I wanted to talk about there is, is that, um, and as we go through the show, I'll definitely be keeping my eyes on this because, look, Gilmore Girls wouldn't come out until 2000, but is Carrie Bradshaw the proto- Lorelai Gilmore, she's dropping, like, pop culture references. We've got Edith Wharton's The Age of Innocence, which is a book about, like, a wealthy New Yorker who's trying to get married but ends up falling in love with his fiancé's cousin. And it's all about how they can't be together because of society. And then she's got uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's, which is not really... I think she's referencing more the book than the movie. Because in the book there, she's more of a, you know prostitute he's a kept man um and really dealing with the idea of the deal and how much money can impact sex and then of course she references an affair to remember which frankly the movie is okay but really i mean we all love the references in sleepless in seattle and of course the mindy project ends with a affair to remember sleepless in seattle spoiler alert well, okay, it doesn't end. It was like the first season. Okay, uh, still spoilers in case, you know, what if these people want to listen to or watch Mindy Project, which everyone should watch Mindy Project. Everyone should. I mean, it's one of the best shows of all time. It's also a we billion years old. Too. <laughs> so no, I'm just obsessed. I want to see if Carrie continues on her kind of pop culture reference lens, because I don't really think of this show as having a ton of those. But I called those three really quickly. Yeah, I mean, like, maybe now that we're paying attention more. We'll get him more. But I, you brought up a good point earlier to me. Carrie looks great when we first see her. Look, I did ask you not to bring this up. Oh, yeah, you did. <laughs> you mean, okay. okay. I may have sent Sam agree. a text that... We both agree. It's okay. That said, look, I don't understand how she looks so good in the, that iconic opening. And then we meet her. It's tough. And wow, 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 wow. <laughs> wow. They went grim with the lighting and the makeup in a way it's that was lighting. like it's shocking right. to the eyes. It's very shocking, especially when you know what she looks like as the show continues. And as we just saw her. Also that, like the lighting is just terrible in the first episode with Carrie. Like they do her dirty. And I'd argue they're doing everyone dirty. I know you thought Charlotte and Samantha looked better, but I thought everyone looked like the most ghastly versions of themselves no, in this lighting. Charlotte and Samantha looked great. All right. I think Charlotte, I mean, she looked so cute with her little flippy hair. And then obviously Samantha had like that, that it almost was like a comb over with bangs. She looked like Donald Trump. Yeah. Okay. But maybe that's what they were going for because there was a Trump reference. And that was upsetting. I and know. I wish they'd cut it out. I feel like let's get somebody in there in ADR. Well, Kim Cattrall is not going back in for ADR, as we know. No. No, no, no. She might be in space, though. Stop. That was a that was a really embarrassing moment for me when I actually <laughs> thought she was going to space and was just a fucking mannequin. So and by the way, you sent it to me, and I was like, I guess she's going to space. <laughs> yeah. You didn't question me either. I was not like, than me. It's 2021. Kim Cattrall's absolutely going to space with Elon Musk, I'm that's sure. What, that's what I thought, too. 
I also really liked how they, I feel like they set the women up and their characters kind of perfectly in the beginning. Meaning like with Miranda, for example. So we know Miranda to be really... Terse, acerbic, mean. Yeah, but in the best ways. Yes, um, I mean, she's really... I mean, they're all the most exaggerated versions of themselves with the, the pe- exception the of pe- Samantha. But like, I was kind of like, Miranda's really unlikable here. Which, by the way, is totally fine for female characters to be unlikable and i would argue carrie is right from the jump but miranda's tough she's a tough cookie no they really leaned into them being like like you said the most exaggerated version of of themselves but the moment that really struck me where i was like whoa miranda is going to be this character for the rest of the the time the show is on is when she's eating her salad because she like shoves it in her mouth and by the way, she's having a salad with two chicken wings in the in it. <laughs> like, which go girl? Like, yeah, it was seemed to be a healthy salad and you. two giant chicken wings. I support her. Who amongst who amongst us hasn't just added two chicken wings to the side of their salad? I used to eat salads with popcorn chicken for every day for lunch. And I, I don't think this was popcorn chicken. I think this was it looked like an actual like chicken wing. She was also going to. Yeah. (laughs) But I know you love her. I've dated the short fat ones moment. I have been out with some of those guys, the short, fat, poor ones. It makes absolutely no difference. They are just as self-centered and unappreciative as the good looking ones. I love that moment. It's so good. And I feel like, you know, what they do at least get is, is that Miranda is someone who they get the spectrum. I feel like obviously Charlotte's the easiest to get of being really the eternal optimist and wanting romance. Is that you? Look, I already had therapy today. We'll get into that in another episode. I'm going to have to shift my therapy sessions to after this podcast so that I'm more willing to dig in. But I've already done that work this morning. Okay. Um, But you know how we define romance and long-lasting relationships are are our own journey. Yeah. But um, they get also that Miranda is critical of kind of traditional romantic relationships, but also wanting of one, right? Like, she is the person who will openly say, I've dated the short, fat ones. I tried, and it did not work. Terrible. The only person... She's like, I lowered that standard, and it was so And by the way, I won't be lowering it again. Yeah. She made that very clear. But the only person I felt like they didn't necessarily get 100%, um, and we can get into it if we want or wait until a little bit later, is Samantha. I felt like she isn't quite, I don't know, there to me. She's got the like, oh yeah, she likes sex and sleeps with younger guys. But they almost play her, and I wonder what you think, with an air of desperation in this episode that I'm not sure is there in in the later bit of the show. Like, for example, she's saying like, Men are good for this, or men can't be available for this. And whereas Samantha later on the show would just simply say, I am not interested in it. Look, if you're a successful saleswoman in this city, you have two choices. You can bang your head against the wall and try and find a relationship, or you can say, screw it, and just go out and have sex like a man. You mean with dildos? No, I mean without feeling. There's this moment, too, because... You know, she goes and sleeps with Capote Duncan. And, like... I want to talk about that moment for, like, forever. That's why we're here. I'm still getting used to this. Let's go. (laughs) So, all right. So Charlotte goes out on this date with this man named Capote Duncan, who is one of the noted toxic bachelors at the very top of the episode. Um, He's gorgeous. Oh. Oh, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
Wait, do you know who that actor is? <laughs> no. He was Laura Dern's husband in Big Little Lies. The one she hits with like the Stop. Okay, spoiler alert if you haven't seen Big Little Lies, but you know you know who I'm talking about, right? Yeah, Laura- you know exactly who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, that's him. I was like as I was watching, I was like, who is that guy? He's so familiar to me. And then I clocked it. The way your brain is just like wired is wild to me. It's basically wired for only pop culture information. Um and I can't do basic addition. Yeah, I love that. But so like I was saying, he's disgusting. You think he's hot. Gorgeous. That's lots to unpack. So Charlotte goes out with him and then they go back to his apartment and she's trying to say like, I'm not going to be one of those women who has sex like men. Like I'm going to be a quote unquote lady in the situation and like play hard to get a little bit like i'll go out on this date with you but i'm not going home with you and he kind of doesn't play into that idea like he's just like okay like all right if you don't want to come back with me you don't have to well it's very refreshing his response he's like i totally get it i respect that yeah and then and then they well they end up going back to his apartment but she's like you know no like whatever and then he's just like okay I'll get you a taxi. Like, he's not mad. He doesn't make her feel bad. He's a gentleman. Oh, right. He's not a gentleman. But he's, you know, I actually don't think he's not not a gentleman. He's just kind of a man. And so he's like, okay, let me get you a taxi. They walk down and he gets her a taxi. And you can see him thinking about something. And he's, and I thought that was great acting from him. You could really tell he was pondering something. you're You're really, like, making him sound quite amazing. Um, he was on the show for seven minutes. And then he gets in the taxi with her. It's good over there. Two stops. Fourth and Bank and uh, West Broadway and Broome. You're going to chaos? Oh, yeah. Why? Look, I understand where you're coming from. And I totally respect it. But uh, I really need to have sex tonight. He's going to the nightclub where Samantha and Carrie and Mr. Big are. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say that that is what reminded me of myself earlier, because who hasn't gotten to the end of a date that wasn't going well? Okay? Not at my own home, but, you know, you're at the restaurant, you're wrapping up. And mm-hmm. he's like, oh, you want to go for a walk or uh, back to my place? And you say, no, I'm feeling tired. <laughs> that is what happened in my situation now. To run into that man later on the dance floor is a little tough after you've said, like, you're tired, you're feeling a little sick. And so I'm with, I've been Capote, where I'm like, I gotta go, baby. Like I gotta go, baby? Is that what you say? I lied. Capote told the truth. Okay, Capote did tell the truth, and that's why I said he's not a gentleman, but he's just a man. Yeah, and an honest man. Okay. A piece of trash, but... He's so corny. Look, we know that the we should have started right up top and said the bar for men is in a sub basement, Mm -hmm. and uh, that is just a truth hanging over everything we say in this. Yeah, we'll remind everybody of that fact every episode, probably multiple times an episode. But then we see Samantha after she is um she's flirting with Mister Big, smoking this right up to him, thinking that she was going to get get it. So I'm so interested. Why do you think he doesn't like her? I don't think he's attracted to her. That's impossible. She's gorgeous. I know, Even with I her like rat tail of hair. He was focused on Carrie. I think it's because Samantha's powerful. He wants a woman he's going to run ragged, leave to go to Paris. And that's not Samantha. I feel like Big's playing the long game. He's like, okay. I'm not going to. 
I'm not gonna be able to treat this woman like trash. Right. He's not, he doesn't want to be asserted. He wants to assert. He doesn't want to be asserted upon. He's Mr. Big. Yeah. He doesn't want a woman to smoke cigars with him. And look, Samantha is Mrs. Big. Wow. They would have been a great couple if he was more of a... Chris, stop it. I'm going to die on that hill. No. A a great couple? Yeah. Samantha and Big? Okay, okay, let me... Okay, okay, okay. I'm thinking about it. Maybe a sexy couple. (laughs) Yeah, they would be hot Yes, very hot. Okay, that's what I meant. But I mean... Don't come for me, everyone listening to this, please. (laughs) I was like, what? Uh, but first, okay, I feel like I, it's hard because this episode, there it's intertwined. Like, it's also jumping lines. all over. The, this episode jumps all over the place, so I feel like we can. It, and I promise we'll be more structured for the more structured episodes. But this because was like... Because it's more structured. This one's difficult because it's like we run into people that we met at the beginning of the episode. And then Carrie, you know, she meets Big on the street after leaving her dick appointment where I was cringing okay. at this. Hold on. Let's focus on Samantha because I no, got I'm some sorry. questions about this. Okay. So Samantha, Mr. Big turns down Samantha. She offers to basically like fuck him in the basement, which I thought was <laughs> shocking. She was like, basically, this is my workplace. Do you want to have sex in the basement? Mm-hmm. And he was ripping a cigar. Yeah. Like, Inside, yeah. which I guess in 1998 was fine in New York. Yeah. Um, so she go, she ends up going home with Capote Duncan. And he is, I think... Like undressing her, going down on her, and the camera like lingers on her face. I hate that moment. And I feel like the show is telling us that this is a sad moment. That because oh, by the way, we should mention that he has said you can't spend the night, you have to leave. And she said, oh, I have something early in the morning anyway. Yeah. But she ends up staying and having sex with him, and the camera pans on her face. And I think the show wants us to think that that's a sad moment. And yet I think Kim Cattrall, who smiles a bit as the camera goes away, is more aware of, like, the power of Samantha than the show is at this point. And it'll be interesting to watch whether... I think she knows more about what's going on and what the audience will eventually respond to with the character than I think the show right now. Because it was... I don't know. It was kind of... The show wanted it to be this tragic moment. Yeah, it was weird. And I think the show's also, like, obsessed in this beginning portion of it and we'll get into this more as we keep watching with almost humiliating these women okay i thought the exact same thing when they like panned on her face and it's like in the moonlight and she like looks so sad as he's like going down on her body i was like that is not the samantha that we meet even like episodes later like she's not sad about this no she would not want she would not want to stay there i actually don't even see Samantha as someone who goes home with people. No. Like, it was just at all. It, it was just, weird. And But I did feel like Kim Cattrall gave us a little twinkle in the eye and a half smile. And I, I have always had a sense that she was as carefully paying attention to how that character should be portrayed as um, anyone else. And frankly, I know a lot of people consider her a bad person. And look, I've seen the scatting video also, guys. I posted every few months. But she knew not to come back after they told her, hey, in the next movie, you're going to be sexting uh, Miranda's kid. And I'm sure she was like, LOLs, y'all have lost your goddamn minds. I'm getting out of here. Yeah. And I think this is, we already see in the pilot, basically my thesis of the show, which is Kim Cattrall knows better than the writers of the show. 
I stand by you. We agree. Thank you. Yeah, I do. I 100% agree with you because, yeah, it was just like a really weird moment. But then there is that little smile at the end, which makes you kind of think like, this isn't a sad thing for her. Like, so why did they try to make it? I don't know. It's just like it made me feel kind of funny just because I know Samantha as the character. And I'm just like, she would not be that way any other time. So you wanted to get into the apartment um, to uh, Carrie having sex with her old fling like a man. And I, so what did you want to say about that before I asked my question? I think Carrie is a dizzy bitch if she thinks that she can do that. Because it's a thing like... (laughs) And have you tried? Of course. (laughs) I think there are some women out there who can do that. And I applaud them. I have tried. And it's like... I end up just feeling kind of gross because like you think you have all this power. And that's exactly how Carrie felt was like when she ran into him at the bar after she was expecting him to be like, wow, like, you know, I want more of you like in a more serious way. I think she wanted to change his mind. And uh, that's I think she was hoping that the allure of her being aloof would be like what brought him to her finally. And instead it was just he looked at the truth of like, Oh great, you're aloof. I don't have to. I yeah, don't need like you're to. You're finally exactly this. how I've ever, I've always wanted you to be. Which is exactly, I think, how most people, I mean, get to that place. And honestly, like, what does even having sex like a man mean in 2021? We shouldn't even be using language like that. This is true. Mostly because you know most. Well, look, most of the men I've slept with, most have been quote unquote gay men. Um, however, you know, they've been just as clingy. Some of, you know, the clingy broads I hang out with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I hate that there's not this, like, in-between. Like, a woman is either clingy or she's having sex like a man. Like, it's just... And that's always, right, in this show that deals in archetypes, that's always going to be essentially a problem. In the show, there's not a lot of space for gray area. And they feel like oftentimes they think Carrie lives in that gray space. But let's be honest, she's a little bit more on the dizzier side. On the the scale. The only thing I wanted to say is, is... (sighs) So she goes over to his apartment and he goes down on her and then she leaves. Are we to believe? Am I to believe? Is this happening? Are straight women going over to men's homes, blowing them, and then the guys saying, like, you got to get out of here and not fulfilling their needs? Is that going on? Because if so, y'all got to stop. Because, right, they play it like it's an equal, like, like it's apples to... I was like, wait, if this is happening, abort, abort. Yeah, no, that I don't think that happens. I Thank mean, God. No, no, none of my friends that has that has never happened to them. If they're going over to a man's house, they're they're running it like they're doing it all. Good. Yeah. So it's like this weird idea that like he's just going down on her and then she's like, all right, I'm done. It's like if that's okay. having sex like a man, men are rude as hell, which we know to be true. Well, but then she leaves his apartment. And drops her condoms everywhere. She has so many condoms. It's like a comical amount of condoms. No, it's like... It's like... They don't even sell condoms in that long of a strip. But can I tell you one of the things that I hate most about this episode and the main reason why I avoid it? Oh no, why? I hate the phrase, he knows I carry condoms with like a reservoir tip. Number three, he knows I carry a personal supply of ultra texture treatment with a reservoir tip. That is disgusting. What's a reservoir tip? Reservoir? Which you know what that means. No. 
Can I, do I have to Google it or are you going to tell me? It's like, so it's like a, the reservoir tip is like where all the cum will go. Like a basin. Like well, wouldn't that be good so that it all, like, you have a larger tip so it, it stays? You know, and honestly, it. that feels like a feature that should be there, but we don't need to talk about it. We don't it. need to talk about it. I, I get it. No, I'm with you there. I don't. And I hate the way that she says it. Like, it disgusts me. I do love Sarah Jessica Parker's performance in this episode. And, I mean, not really the talking to camera, but I feel like she hasn't quite leaned into the cutesy ticks that come later. Um, mm-hmm. And the writing isn't as punny yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's so much more, I think, lived in and real in this performance than she, not to say that I don't love her later. And I think she's giving like a fantastic rom-com performance later, mm-hmm. but she's not as um, grounded yeah. later. Candice Bushnell said that actually. She said that in the first like two seasons, Candace was like really shook at how much Carrie had picked up like her mannerisms and like how much she talked like her and like acted like her. It was like really strange. <laughs> I'm like, I can't imagine having to watch someone pretend to be me. That would be painful. And yeah, and I think it's more of a writing thing because I, you know, if you don't think Sarah Jessica Parker is a good actress, go watch The Family Stone. We'll have to cover that when it comes Christmas time, just solely because of Sarah Jessica Parker, isn't it? But we meet Big, and he is, like... He's so hot. I know. I can't wait to talk about his thighs in, like, 80 episodes. <laughs> oh, my God. You and his fucking thighs. But he's, like, he gives this, like, great, like, kind of, like, silent performance. And it's it's so good. Because he's, like, got this, like, charm to him. And it's, like, a sparkle. Well, he's, he's also so distinctly different than any man we've already met, both in outfit, like, the way he's dressed, his mm-hmm. costuming. And his performance, it's like, I always say, you know, I'm friends with so many boys and occasionally like I come around a man and I'm like, whoa, a man is amongst us. And it's like a different kind of energy is bouncing off. A whole different kind of energy. And I feel like when even Carrie some, she was like, a man is here. Like we've found somebody who's a little different. Exactly. And then it was just like that cute little, like when she was walking away and then she like turned around and he looked at her and it was like this moment. And you're just like, I got us so excited. Oh, I was excited. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, so I mean, Charlotte, we've talked about Charlotte. We've talked about Miranda. Oh, well, we haven't Miranda? talked about, we have not talked about Miranda and your favorite character. One <sighs> skipper. I fucking hate skipper guys i love skip or she doesn't she what does she call him skippy she's so fucking rude that's funny skipping skipper you know that's so me actually like i would (laughs) totally do that to a man i hate him (laughs) he's a website designer he seems to be designing the web page of mad tv can i say something in 1998, I feel like a web designer was kind of like looked down upon because like the web was kind of this like elusive thing. Skipper well, did you see what he was designing? Right oh, Skipper probably started Instagram. Oh, Skipper is Tom from MySpace. Where is Tom? Is Tom on Instagram? I'm gonna follow him. So, okay, we need to talk about the first time Carrie is a shitty person. She literally says, Miranda will not like Skipper. Why set them up? What is she doing? Why is she playing games with people for her own ends? She's a monster. I think because she thinks, like, he wants a strong woman and Miranda needs 
I don't know. I feel then like she was Miranda really fun. is truly saying like, I fucking hate you. I don't want to be anywhere near you. Carrie obviously is aware as she says in voiceover, I was just about to help, but then I saw Mr. Big. It's like, get over there and save poor Skipper. No, she's got fucking priorities. And the priorities are never being a good person. No, but we know that. That's that, true. That's okay. But I just think, why wouldn't she set him up with Charlotte, who Skipper wants to be in a relationship, he wants to get married. Is it just because she absolutely knows that Charlotte would be like, I do not want this man. He is not my kind of white ideal. That or like, for sure. <laughs> but then, okay, so she it. obviously then thinks Skipper is ugly and is like, oh. Oh, I know where you're going with this. Ride him to Miranda. She's so rude. She is so rude, but I would be fucking rude too if my friend tried to set me up with that curly head little fuck. Are you <sighs> kidding me? I hate him. And he's like, so pick me. He said, a fucking pick me guy. He's like, oh, is no he Meredith girl. Gray? Pick me, choose me, love me. What do you- he is like? He's a pick me boy. Like he's always like, girls don't like me. Like I'm just not what they want. But girls want to get married. But why don't they want to marry? Because they don't want to marry you, Skipper. Look at you. You have the confidence of a worm. I I think he's a nice guy. He you can be nice, but that doesn't mean someone wants to marry you. He's a nice guy. I I just you I would felt- not even look twice at Skipper. Look, no, I wouldn't. Oh, right. Let's be honest with ourselves. We have to be very clear here. That's true. That's kind of everyone's, like, arc. We meet Stanford as Carrie's uh, friend. I will say that I feel like they are so closer and they have such good chemistry here. And then later, Carrie is so fucking rude to Stanford. We should also say that we will be talking about the show in totality. So, spoiler alert. We won't spoil, like, big things if you're watching for the first time. We'll try not to, but... There is that later episode where Carrie is taking the girls to meet Petrotsky and he Stanford's sitting there and she says to him like, oh, sorry, just the girls this time after inviting them in front of him. And I'm like, that's so rude. And I I always think of that moment because they seem so close right here. And obviously you almost get the sense that he has known Stanford Carrie longer than she's known the three girls. Yeah, definitely. Then, of course. She leaves the bar. It's late. She's walking home alone at night. I don't love that. Got me a little nervous. And then the car pulls up. The car. And they get in and have what I think is actually the second sexiest moment of the show. They have amazing chemistry. They really do. And that's like, you can't write that. He's, no. I mean, it, I mean, look, it's, some of it is just physical. He is literally big. And she's so small, so it's kind of interesting to even visually look at them together. Mm-hmm. But there is a certain sparkle that you can't really fake that is yeah. automatically there right from the first moment. And they get in and Carrie is being, I guess you can kind of consider this her flirting, her calling herself like, oh, I'm a sexual anthropologist. And he's like, are you a hooker? <laughs> and she's like, no. But then he, he quickly, and I guess he you could consider her. this, yeah, he clocks her, but is it rude? He's like, you've never been in love, which is, um... I don't think that that's rude. A tough thing to say to someone who it's you've just met. Thing to say, yeah. That's who he is. He is who he is right away. Like, he's going to mince words. That's true. And obviously she gets out of the car and quickly turns around and knocks on the window and asks if he's ever been in love, and obviously he gives that classic absolutely. fucking lutely 
does so possess. Rolls the window up and just leaves. Yeah. And the end, the, the episode ending, and Sex and the City has so many iconic episode endings, but I think this is right up there with the best of them. There's no closing monologue. No. And, like, you don't know if you're going to see him again. No. I mean, no, you, you, absolute, you absolutely do. There's no chance that you're not going to see you that man again. in 1998, you thought that that was the man that would be the man throughout the show? Absolutely. I mean, also, really? Chris Noth was, like, a big star because he was, wasn't he on, like, Law & Order already? He was on Law & Order. That's why he hates Sex and the City. I know. He hates it so much. He's like, I'd rather be known for this other shitty show than this one. That is, like, so rude. It's like, sir... <laughs> be thankful this pays your fucking bills but i love that the so the episode ends it freezes on carrie's face in an angle that's super similar to how the uh opening credits end which i think is really mm-hmm. um taking and big has really confronted her with this idea of like whether or not she's ever been in love because he's like why do you want to have sex like a man yeah i think we're to believe right that carrie has never been in love and she it ends with no questions and I feel like that freeze frame is so great because it opens up to she's going to have to start asking questions in a way that she never has before. And mm-hmm. so we really end in a way that is um, indicative of everything that we're going to see for the next 91 episodes is this woman really grappling with what is love? How does it fit into this life that I'm trying to build for myself? And... How do I give it? And more importantly, almost like, how does she receive it? Because I think that more often than not, she's really bad at that latter part. But it's so it's such an evocative and great way to end the episode um, on this amazing question for a show that will spend the rest of its lifeline simply asking questions rather than answering them. Yeah. But I like that. I mean, it's great. What's so good about the show? So that's the first episode. The show was not well received. The New York Times wrote that the series benefits greatly from Miss Parker's engaging portrayal of a smart woman always searching for answers and never, never certain if she's found them. On the surface, Carrie's world of art dealers, trendy clubs, and supermodels may seem hermetic, but her mating rituals have a universal resonance. So the Times was like very nice, but yeah, then some others were pretty tough. Neither director nor cast can do anything with Mr. Starr's awkward script, which is choppy and burdened with impossible dialogue. But the worst is that the smarty mood leaps beyond cynical, and his characters are too disagreeable to make funny. And that's from The Hollywood Reporter. Oh my god! And uh, The Washington Post was not kind. Sarah Jessica Parker has an in-your-face face. In her new HBO comedy series, Sex and the City, she always seems to be thrusting it forward. She's in love with the camera. Unfortunately, it's unrequited. Oh my god. I would have jumped out of a fucking window. I you would never see my face again. Which is by the way, I think Ever. that's why actors are like I do not read reviews because I read that and was like I can't read that's it. That's like that, that's like before social media. So it's like now it's like if you get a bad review, like for example, Sex Life, I'm sure on Netflix has gotten terrible reviews, but on social media people are like loving it cuz it's so trashy. So all they had was reviews. Yeah. And so said that you were thrusting your ugly face forward too much and the camera hates you. You I would come back with a completely new face. I mean, he finished the review by saying Sex in the City is a total immersion in self-absorption. Uh, US Today said perhaps these whiners can't find any great guys because they're not so great themselves. So whiners. The show that we know and loved thankfully they'd already filmed all 12 episodes and hbo was committed to airing them because it was not well received 
Oh my god. Which is crazy because um obviously we remember it as the classic show that it is now and Right. Like I can't imagine someone writing that about a woman's face now. Oh my god. Well no, like, they would be never. dragged off the internet by by people like us. We would be in their Well you I don't know about you, but you know I would definitely be in their mentions. I'm not afraid like, to get in you there. You would be in their DMs. You're not afraid to like DM Chart Westcott. So I thought you were going to mention when I DM Tom Cruise that where was Shelly Miscavige after he returned his Golden Globes. We don't want your Golden Globes. We want Shelly. We want we want Shelly. Yeah, wow. That's a tough that's tough, Chris. Saying the woman's face is thrusting and her so do we want to go through just a few quick things before we wrap up? Yeah. So what was your, obviously Sex and the City is so much about the fashion. So each episode we're going to chat about what our favorite or least favorite looks are. Honestly, I can't say that there were many favorite looks. You didn't me. like Charlotte's look? I didn't care for anything I saw, but I will say this is the first time we see the iconic tutu, which cost $5 the pink tank tank top and the strappy heels. So that is going to be my favorite look um, for the episode. Okay. And least favorite is everything else. My favorite is Charlotte's like opera look. She's in like this really sexy, like slinky, like open back. Look but wasn't she wearing hair. like a weird coat with it? Was she? I could I be wrong, know. but I felt like I was like, uh oh, I will say there's also a Manolo Bonic reference very early on, and I felt like that was something that comes later. They did reference Manolo Bonics, but there is a coat that I hate that comes up a lot in the future seasons that we'll talk about. Ooh, I can't wait. Don't say anything. Don't don't even tell I me. Really, I'll see if I can clock it. Chris, I hate this fucking coat. All right. Maybe text me off to the side about it later. I don't think I, I can wait. We'll, we'll discuss. But I don't think I have a least favorite. Oh, Miranda's outfit when she eats the salad. They make her look so fucking frumpy, and Miranda's got, like, a nice body. I feel like they were like, okay, she's the serious one. Yeah, so we gotta make her look, like, really... She's the serious lawyer, and honestly, Sex and the City's a fantasy to me. Give me high camp, Miranda wearing, like, stilettos and, like, Givenchy to lunch and work. But we also will discuss eventually her... Like, Miranda is, like, the leading pioneer in athleisure. Hmm. Okay. I'm not sure about that, but we'll see. Absolutely. So sure. I think we landed on, obviously for me, um, you know, this little section, Are We Sluts? Which man did we like the best? I think we know who. I gave mine away a little too early, but. Yeah, of course. Mr. Big. Duncan. Oh. Oh, big. Yeah, of course, big. No, big I'm going to. You know, big is going to have many opportunities to win this award. Okay, so Duncan so is like. So I'm your going to give my personal pick to Capote Duncan, um, my big little lies king. I just can't believe that you're, like, so into him. It's I love so his little crazy. chest hair. Did you see it when he was working out? Ew, I did. I took a screenshot of it. <laughs> yes. Ugh. And then, of Tough course, we had, and, you know, but if I had to give a second place, it would be to Stanford Blanche, who I think is really, you know, a great guy, and I love Stanny. He's a great character. He's almost, like, Carrie's, like... Conscience? He's yeah. her little Jiminy Cricket? Yeah, he's like, please don't go fuck that man. Please don't go talk to him. And she's like, oh, I'll be fine. That's such a me thing to do. Oh, I know. I can okay. absolutely do this. And I'm texting you off to the side like, bitch, you need to take your ass home. Yeah, like, please get home. <laughs> please don't do that. So, yeah. All right. So the last little segment we'll do before we rate the episode is, I'm sorry, I can't, don't hate me. Do you have any hot takes about this episode? I'm sorry I can't don't hate me. Um, I think my hottest take is just Carrie's uh, overall look. You don't care for it. I don't care for it. It's harsh. 
It is harsh. Gritty. I think they were going for like, this show's like real New York. And I'm like, I don't want it. I don't want that. <laughs> I'm okay. Thank you. <laughs> Pass. I like for me. Okay. I might sound like that one review, but with her Uh-oh. face shape, she needs a longer hair. It's true. Uh, those an ugly head or a face that thrusts forward on the camera. I'm just saying, I think with her haircut, it's just not working. Or those views are not my down. own. Those views are not mine. Listen, I think it's also the mousy hair color. I just don't enjoy it. Oof, when they cut to the back of her head when she was talking to the English woman the first time, I, j- I screamed. <laughs> I screamed. I was like, is this oh. the first time we're going to see this woman? This iconic character with those tight Annie curls? Tight Annie brown mousy curls and was just like smoking that cigarette and putting it on that dirty little ashtray. I thought she would bear have a very different. I thought I was gonna like hear like Elaine Stretch, like, "Hey," the way she looked, it was tough. You know my love of Elaine Stretch. Do you oh know my that God. Queen Icon Legend? I did not know that, but I love Elaine yeah, Stretch. Number three. Uh, oh, she is. Yeah. Oh, her documentary. Oh my God, so good. Um, I loved it at the end of her life. She was like, "No, I will be drinking." Yeah. So my hot take is that I actually don't really hate the direct to camera. It's obviously not like what the show will become. But I I think in an effort to make it kind of this journalistic update of these columns, they're trying this out. And as an idea, I don't inherently hate it. I just wish that they had maybe punched up the jokes a bit. And plus narration, it's a bit much. Like, I would have chosen one or the other. But I yeah. think as a practice, it's not an awful idea. And that it's a pretty, as much as I don't love the pilot, I think a lot of that has to do with it me sizing it up against the later show right but if you think of it in the context of i think the first season it's a great example of the show they were trying to make then it's just that that show evolved into something else and then evolved into something else in the final season which we'll talk about when we get to it but i don't hate it the deep the direct to cameras Look, it's a hot take. I don't hate it. I don't hate it when it's like Capote Duncan talking or like. Uh, How could you hate anything when it's that (laughs) sad? Or like when Charlotte is talking or Miranda is talking. I don't hate it. But it's like the quick takes of Carrie doing it. Like when she's like in the middle of a conversation and then she turns to the camera. I don't enjoy it. That felt like a lot of exposition. Yes. I mean, it is what it is, but I'm glad that they got rid of that. All right. Well, Sam, I think we did it. Oh, wait. We, oh, wait. No, we didn't. We have to rate the, we have to like rate the episode out of 10. Out of 10? Yeah. I'm going to give it a solid 7.5. I feel like we met the girls. We know who they are. We had, I think, honestly, the 7.5 is basically just how much I love the final image and the idea of Carrie being confronted by a question that spurs her to ask more questions. Mm -hmm. And that's basically all I liked. Yeah. For me, the show kind of comes alive more when Big enters the picture. Hmm. Great thing for you to say about a show all about women. I know. But I'm just saying, like, it got me, like, more excited. Also, because I just know what's coming. I have to give it a six. All right. Just because pilots are always hard, I think. Like, because they're setting it all up. So, I mean, it's, like, as good as a pilot can be, I guess. Six out of, I don't think six out of ten. You sound a lot like the guy from the Washington Post right now. Me, that guy's my dad. Um, he had a lot of opinions. All right. Well, now we've officially done it. We have now recorded our first episode of Shortcomings. I feel great. I feel good. I feel like I could do this again. 
Oh, good. I'm glad you feel that way because you're going to be doing it for 91 more times. And two movies. And do we even know? I don't even think we even know how many episodes this revival is. I know nothing. All I know is it's set in COVID. Oh, fuck me. Yeah. And that Aiden's going to be that, that piece of shit. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. This was the first episode of Shortcomings. We'll be back next week and we'll be discussing season one, episode two, Models and Mortals. Thank you so much for listening to our very first episode of Shortcomings, the Sex and the City podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. Apple, Spotify, doesn't matter. Um, this is a podcast brought to you by The Dip. Make sure you check out their other podcasts. There's Slut Pig Podcast. There's Exposed. There's TV Watch Repeat. There's a great podcast called Hot Off the Mess, hosted there's by Samantha Bush. <laughs> When's it going to plug Plug, plug. It's a great one. <laughs> Thank you. And make sure you follow Chris. Chris, where can people find you? Only follow me if you're going to say nice things. I'm very sensitive. I am a Charlotte. No, you can come for me. People always do. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at the the only place I am, C. Lewis 1219. And obviously you can find me on Bravo Historian on Instagram, Takers Aloft on Twitter. I need to re-up that prescription. So we will see you guys next week. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. What exactly are microplastics? They're small, man-made. They're less than five millimeters long and they're around you every day. Microplastics are toxic. They cunningly seep into water, the air, and the things we eat. By contaminating our food chain, they make their way to you. Through vegetables at the supermarket, and yes, through fruit too. They're literally everywhere. That's the problem at hand. Every cigarette butt you see on the ground contains 15,000 strands. Learn more at undo.org. Wicked, wicked fly. This is your summer. That means Six Flags in the taste of an ice-cold Coca-Cola. We're talking thrilling coasters, amazing animal attractions, and this. Coke is summer refreshment, so you can hop on another ride, like the all-new Sidewinder Safari. Six Flags and Coca-Cola. Come make it yours. Visit SixFlags.com Coke to save up to $20 off passes or daily tickets starting at $39.99. Wicked, 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 wicked